have to thank the choir for that very flattering uh, anthem. I've never been called lovely before. <laughs> That's an amazing thing. Let's pray together. We invoke Holy Spirit to come and be among us now. That whoever and whatever is the messenger of this gospel of peace, that the first messenger be the Spirit, moving in people's lives, talking to young people about their ways and their decisions, talking to parents and couples about how they relate, talking to leaders about how a church is organized and and run and talking to a community about how we use our resources. May the message be truly lovely and revolutionary because of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Our scripture for this third Sunday in Advent has Luke providing us with this wonderful historical context that the story of John and Jesus are set in. But I also hear a second and kind of subtle message amidst all of the names that I read at the beginning. When Tiberius was Caesar or emperor, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, or as the young woman asked to read the scripture in Friday service said, Pontius Pilates, When Herod was the regional governor of Galilee and Philip the regional governor of Iteria and Trachonitis, when Lysantius was over Abilene and Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of the Lord came to none of them. They were bypassed. They and their centers of power, these people who are high on the food chain, who have the capacity to affect armies and economies and public relations. In the midst of all of them, the word comes to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Now, if you've been coming to church for a while, if you've been reading the Bible for a while, you will not be surprised. It's nothing new. Nothing extraordinary to bypass the powers and choose what we might perceive to be unlikely leaders. That's kind of the biblical story. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joseph, uh, King David was a shepherd boy, Hosea. All through the scriptures, these names that are familiar to us, maybe, in their day, these people were nobodies. And so we add to the list today John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. It could be that God's trying to be cagey or creative or cute, or it could be that the voice of hope and peace and joy and love 
can really only be detected outside, outside the circles of power and sophistication. It may be that that voice can only be heard in places that we might derisively and dismissively call the wilderness, which is not just a place, not just a geographic place. It's also a state of mind. In that place in ourselves where we're empty and barren, it may be in those wilderness places where there's enough space and wildness to detect this word of radical change. I know we've sort of sophisticated it all up here, but this is a word of radical change. When the word comes to John, John shares it. Isaiah says that's what messengers do. It's always the sacred way. And and here is his message. The repentance by baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Let me translate that that into uh, more everyday language. John is saying... We've messed this world up. We've misabused our our power. We've misused our resources. We've squandered our lives in such a way that we're off base. But something is calling. Something is calling not just individuals but whole people groups to make a profound change, a turn toward God, toward this new and fresh way. And if we do and when we do, there's a a welcome and a forgiveness and an encouragement to be people of God in a whole new way. With all due respect to the emperor Tiberius and Pontius Pilates and all the others, both uh, back then and now, this word is never heard or transmitted by those who want to preserve their seats of power. In fact, it may only come from the desert places where superficiality is, is stripped away and all the competing noises are silenced and all the pretense is rendered meaningless then we can hear this invitation. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make the way straight. Knock down the mountains and raise up the valleys in in order to experience and embody. That's what baptism is. Experiencing and embodying God's form of power. God's form of power. i got to tell you, this is a hard sell. Not many PR agencies would take this one on. Willingly give up all your power in order to be meek and humble and trust that that way, that way, will get us where we really need to go. A few years ago, Christopher Hedges came out with a book. The title of it is says it all, war is a force that gives us meaning. War is a force that gives us meaning. 
It groups us together. It allows us to have an identified enemy that we can rally against. It lets us ignore complex problems, and it allows us to feel powerful. Someone pointed out to me the new ad on TV for the video World of Warcraft. In it, they say, they ask us why we fight. Well, it's in our nature. Contrast that with the way that John comes to prepare. This one that, that, that uh, is going to come, not in worldly power, but in vulnerability. We sang it at the beginning of this hour. His kingdom is not of this world. It's a different way. It is, in Paul's word, a more excellent way. But it is a way of vulnerability. It believes in love more than in power. i got to ask you, which one of those do you think is going to sell on today's market? This week I had someone ask me, why do you have that ugly picture in your church? I thought, ugly picture? What? I'm thinking, do we have a staff photograph somewhere that <laughs> people are complaining about? I, I, I. She said, well, why don't you have a picture of an angel and Mary and a star? And I realized she was, was talking about the banner behind me. For from where she sat, she couldn't make anything out of it. It's a story of the totality of his life. There's the manger, yes, that's what we prepare for on this Advent, in this Advent season. But there's Jesus holding the scroll, as he did in Luke, saying from the prophet Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to announce the year of the Lord's favor. It's right there. He's there with a little child on his lap. Do you see it? And the women around him, he's healing. He's touching people with his love. And there he hangs on the cross. It's all there. It's why we celebrate his birth. Because of who he is. You know the old saying, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I don't think that means, well, it's all subjective. You believe whatever you want, I'll believe whatever I want. Rather, I think that phrase can also mean that in order to see the beauty, we have to have our eyes and our ears and our, our hearts shaped, formed to see that love is the way. It is the only way. There is no other way. Tomorrow in this place we will gather to both grieve and be grateful for Mike Bowling, who died so unexpectedly on Friday. I said to someone, he seems to me like Enoch, that character in the Old Testament who walked with God and suddenly was no more. Mike came to us six years ago, mentally challenged, a little slow, unable to read or write, he had difficulty with money, and he, he was unable to do many of the things that 
we take for granted. He never owned a car. He never went on a date. He didn't do a lot of the things that many of us do. He didn't have much to give by one measure. But you ask anyone who knew Mike, and they would say he was one of the most powerful people in this church. What did he have? He had love. Five years ago when our son died, my first Wednesday night back, Mike came up to me with a, an artist uh, canvas. He said, I, I made this for you. And on it was a painting. Mike loved to paint. And on this little, on this little canvas was a row of angels, their wings all showing, and they were locked arm in arm. But then there was one person also dressed in white, but he had a beard and a, a halo, and he had his arm around someone else. Mike had painted the picture, and then he called his sister. He said, I want to write something on the bottom of it. And she gave it to him letter by letter. And it said, Jesus welcomes Bobby into heaven. If I knew our house was on fire and only had a minute to get five favorite things, that would be one of them. How do you define power? Who's a leader, really? Today we put the crosses on our front lawn in memory of those who were killed by an act of violence. The first year our church did this, uh, one of our members said, I, I just don't think we ought to do this. This just looks tacky, inappropriate for this season of happiness. And yet through the years we've done this, each year the church drags out these crosses. We clean them up a little bit from the year before. They're more dead this year than last year. From the outside, it looks kind of pitiful, helpless. Now there's that church. People killing each other. and They can't do anything about it. But from the inside, we know that we're declaring God is not done. There will be a day. It may not be this year. It may not be next year. But there will come a day when there's not one cross on the lawn remembering someone killed by an act of violence. We believe it, that the wolf and the lamb will lie down together and the leopard and the, the goat will eat together and the lion and the calf will be at peace. We don't just wish it. We don't just talk about it. We're baptized into it. We're being changed by it. We're being called to make these changes in ourselves and in our world, to work for peace and justice and the healing of the nations. When the church is at its best, and sometimes we are at our best, when the church is at its best, we are successors to John the baptizer, the forerunner of Jesus 
who like a bulldozer shaped the terrain and straightened the paths and filled the valleys and raised the mountains and challenged us to step away from the powers of this world in order to say yes to God. And we declare this message. We put these crosses on the lawn to make that invitation to people who murder. We put these crosses on the lawn to say that message to the manufacturers of murdering devices. We put these crosses on the lawn to say this message to the systems that turn a blind eye to the causes of violence and to the many more subtle legal forms of violence that murder lives and kill spirits like students who bully and CEOs who betray their communities and spouses who abuse and pushers who push that which will destroy human lives. And we declare this word to to me and to you where we wield our power in a way that conflicts with God's power. To hear and repeat this invitation, this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Listen, the world doesn't need an ordinary Christmas. We need extraordinary leaders. We need to to have those who will declare this day of peace that may only dimly shine now. But someday, and we believe it, and we live into it now. So, in the year that Obama was president, and Stephen Bashir was governor of Kentucky, when Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul were the senators from our state, and John Yarmouth sat in the house, the word of the Lord came to Highland. Let's pray together. May we live more fully, more devotedly into your way and truth and life foretold by John and embodied finally and fully in Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.